become a thing that says brave. We've got that up there yet? Yep, awesome. To follow Jesus is to be on the way. What's that? Is there impact today? Yes, there is. There is impact today. So if you are impact aged, now's the time. Thank you for the cue. <coughs> They're on the way. To follow Jesus is to be on the way, to be in transit, almost like a transit lounge. Um, Actually, every day is like that. You have what we've lived so far, but the next day is unfolding. Today is unfolding, and we're on the way. We don't know how it will end. To be a follower of Jesus is actually to look forward and say, this life now is not the sum and total of life. We're all on our way to something more. And what's it like to be on our way? Well, in 1990... Uh, my plane landed in Kai Tak Airport, for those who've been around for a while. That was the airport that as you went in to land, you were actually below the skyscrapers that were around you. You could look into Mrs. Wong's kitchen. And uh, I landed in Kai Tak Airport at about 10.30 at night. I'd flown from the east coast of America. Uh, the, I was supposed to be met by somebody who worked for the company that I was going to work for. They'd uh, employed me. I'd been chosen. And there I was, jet-lagged, completely out of my depth. I cannot believe, I look back, I had not read anything about Hong Kong. I arrived and just thought, this will be all right. And somebody, um, I was that somebody, had made a mistake with the international dateline. So I was a day early. I had no accommodation booked. Um, I was going to be staying with my new boss, who was going to meet me at the airport the next day. Um, and I knew nobody in Hong Kong, and it was dark outside, and I was scared, and I had no idea what to do. Um, and uh, so I thought, okay, no problem, I can roll with this. I just put my backpack down, and I thought, I'll just you know, hook my leg around my backpack, and I'll sleep on one of these chairs. Um, that'll be fine for me. What I hadn't realized is that because Kai Tak Airport was surrounded by all these high-rises, they actually shut it. They shut it at night because they can't have planes coming in at 2 o'clock in the morning because that would wake up uh, millions of people. So, um, so then I kind of I had a little snooze and I woke up and I could see the airport emptying and that I was going to have to leave it. It's now um, 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is even worse. What do I do? I had all these fears. Now, I knew I was on the way to something, but I knew um, that I... And I knew, I suddenly realised I was going to have to leave this airport. I had to leave the old place, but I was frozen. I was scared. I had no, and to be a Christian, a follower of the Jesus, is to be on the way, but sometimes we freeze. Nowadays, um, they call it our reptile brain. Anyone heard that phrase? Well, they use the term our reptile brain to describe the part of our brain that is focused on us surviving. So they say when the earthquakes hit, or in cases of disaster, our reptile brain, that's what they call it, takes control. And its absolute focus is that you survive. And it does that by paying attention to the things that could put you in trouble. So those are our fears. And sometimes it paralyzes us, and sometimes it does help us survive. But sometimes it makes, moves us from chosen people into frozen people, just scared to make any movement. And what do they do? Well, actually... Um, Though I hadn't started work for the company in Hong Kong yet, I went and booked into the airport hotel. That's what they are there for. 
Um, they're very expensive, made for frozen people like me on that night. I still, if you're going to travel, read up before you get there, please. <laughs> um, and I booked in for a night, and I lived there for about four years, and um, got so that the airport, there was no fear in it. I knew how it worked, I knew you know, all that kind of stuff, because that's what we do. Sometimes we're on our way, but we get frozen. So um, today, they called, the series we're doing starts with one that talks about brave, and it reads a bit from the book of Acts, where the, follow, uh, the early church, they're going to look at the early church a lot, is brave. But I wanted to start off by looking at this kind of thing of being chosen or frozen, because it's something that happens throughout the Bible. So if we travel back to the past, it happened to the people of Israel. God had chosen them, rescued them from slavery in Egypt, you know, Moses, um, miracles, all that kind of thing. And then in Numbers 13, Moses, t- um, whoops, that was a mistake. Moses sends some men off to go and have a look at the promised land, the new land, and he sends them off with some questions, what kind of land is it? And they come back and say they have essentially like a church meeting. Yeah, that thrills you with joy, doesn't it? They have a church meeting to go, what does this new land look like? And they come up with this account. Well, it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Now, Caleb, bit of a hero, he he says, oh, listen, we should go up and take possession of the land. Can, Can you imagine the church meeting? We should do this. God will be with us. And the men who'd gone with him said, well, hang on, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. Um, and then they, this is fascinating because then it says they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land. The land we explored devours those living in it. Hey? The land devours those? And all the people we saw were of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked the same to them. We're tiny, they're huge, we can't do this. And the end result is the people of Israel end up frozen. And we're told that 40 years end up passing. Now, okay, it's the desert, which means really hot during the day, but you could use the frozen thing for nighttime because it's very cold in the desert. 40 years of being frozen, and then they approach it again. This time, it's now Moses has passed away, and Joshua sends out some people to spy out the land, and he, they meet this, um, he's told by God to be strong and courageous. Don't be frozen. Do not be afraid. That's what the, the reptile part of our brain um, the way it's phrased, is all about fear. It's all about protection and survival. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. And it's a fascinating little side bit here. As they do go across the River Jordan, I don't know if anyone's noticed this, the river actually retreats from them. It's actually in flood when they start, and when they go across, it just pulls back. So they're kind of reenacting the rescue from uh, Egypt in reverse. It's kind of a cute thing to notice. A couple more things happen then. Just before uh, approaching Jericho and uh, uh, Johann's trumpet solo, um, <laughs> Joshua encounters a stranger. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our enemies? Pause for that for a moment. What are your options there? Good guy or bad guy? For us or against us? No middle ground, Right? So how's he going to respond? He says, neither. But as a commander commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. He says, I'm not owning that us and them narrative. Yep. I'm not for you or your enemy. I'm this. And it doesn't fit that category. 
And then Joshua falls down to the ground in reverence and asks him, what message do you as the Lord have my sa- uh, for my, his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replies, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Joshua's just moving into this new land and the first thing he gets told by this mystery commander of the Lord's army is, I'm not for... It's, it's not you're the goodies and these are the enemies. That's not the way I view this. The second thing he's told is, where you are now is holy. That's a little bit of a side bit, but I think when you're moving from one place to another, I think those two things are really helpful to hold. It's really easy when you move into a new place to say, anyone against you is your enemy. Not necessarily. And the risk for us is, well, are we going to hold on to this sense of chosen? And I um, think that neither for us or enemy, that takes love out of the equation. And a sense that this place, new place that you're going, might also be a place where God is present, where there's some holiness. But that sort of happens on one side, and then there's another side, the voice of fear. So on Wednesday, Tuesday is um, traditionally Pancake Tuesday, so um, uh, feel free, kids, say to your parents, can we have pancakes for breakfast on Tuesday? It's hard for them to say no, um, though certainly possible. <laughs> Better yet, you could say, can I make pancakes? Um, I'm not going to make any comments about who ends up tidying up afterwards. Um, And then um, Wednesday traditionally is the start of Lent. So on Wednesday, if you've signed up for the the email thing at 40x.co.uk, then you'll get an email that gives you an idea of a way to be generous. And generosity tends to come out of us when we feel secure in ourselves when we're not feeling under attack, thinking you're the enemy. Generosity, I think, comes out of us when we have a sense of being chosen. And then when fear takes over, that's when we kind of pull up our barriers and go, nope, I've got to protect myself first and foremost. So I'm not going to offer anything. It's going to be me. Now, fear's not a bad thing. Uh, I had a brother, uh, my family did a fair bit of climbing, and I had a brother who lost his um, fear of heights, until he had a couple of nasty falls. Fear is quite helpful. Fear means that when you're climbing, you make sure your gear is right. Fear is, it is a survival thing. It's a good thing, but not if it makes you freeze. So I've said the series looks at the early, uh, at the chapter of Acts, at the early church. Let's just jump in a time machine for a moment and have a look and see what happens to the church from kind of... Um, death of Jesus on and how it grew. So in the next 20 seconds, I'm going to struggle to do a commentary over the top. You should see, it. we, we start out this plot here, the white is the growth of Christianity. You can kind of see it exploding. Um, that's Islam growing. Uh, briefly, we'll see the Mongol hordes, that's them. Yep. Um, communism will appear um, in a moment or two. 20 seconds, and go. And uh, then we finish here, which is not fair. Okay, it's not a fair thing because it would say, "Hey, look, we're all white, New Zealand. We're uh, we're all Christian." That's not, you know, not actually uh, a fair graph. But all I wanted to show you was that there is this explosion from the start of the early church outwards. And in fact, the whole book of Acts is built around this. It divides the book of Acts into sections of the first section is about good news reaching Jerusalem, and then it's good news going to Judea and Samaria, so that's a layer out, and then to Asia, and then to Europe, and then lastly, good news and Paul getting to Rome, and that's where it stops. So the book of Acts is this kind of this explosion out of the church, it all starting off in Jerusalem. 
And I tell you that because the bit we're going to read starts off in Jerusalem. And so here's a bit of an overview of what happens before the bit we're going to read. Okay? Jesus is resurrected. He spends some time with the disciples and then goes up into the heavens. And then the Spirit arrives at Pentecost. And then we hear the character of this new community, a place where everything is shared where they're breaking to bread together in Jerusalem, they're praying and learning and serving, and if someone has need, then you might find yourself selling your house so that their need is met. Um, We don't like to say that too loudly in today's world. Um, And then there's a dramatic healing at the edge of a temple, which is really important that it's the edge of the temple. Remember, the center is in Jerusalem, and the temple is the center of Jerusalem for Jews. And immediately after that, they get to talk about what that's about, and then there's resistance, and immediately they end up in prison. Yep. So the resistance comes because when Peter and John start telling, there's been this healing, and Peter and John start to tell what they've seen, and they start talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And, oh, that goes down very badly, because the temple was a place that had become frozen. It was very much about rules. Here were the things you do, and very much about power, There were temple police. Uh, You could get whipped as a punishment. It was a place of rules. And the people who are in power like to be in power. That's kind of what we're like. Um, And for someone to talk about the resurrection of Jesus was actually quite subversive. Well, that's good. That wasn't a tsunami warning, was it? Good. Um, So as they start talking about this stuff, the um, apostles, disciples are told to shut up. There was a famous bishop who said that uh, everywhere St. Paul went, he said, there was a riot. He said, everywhere I go, they serve tea. (laughs) There is an element here of you can see this explosion and you can see the threat to the people around. The powers that be don't want this. Which brings us just about to the story we're in, still in Jerusalem. Okay, they arrest the apostles again. And then in Acts 20, an angel lets them out of prison, miraculously, and says, go and take your stand in the temple and speak the words of this life to the people. And off they go. So you can imagine the next morning, guards are kind of surprised to get up and go, hang on, they're supposed to be in prison. What's happened? And they're speaking at the front. There's a bit of confusion in this. And they kind of go and say, uh, so they grab these guys. It's lovely. The bewildered guards are told to go and get these guys. But these guys have broken out of prison. They don't know how. So they, says they, they kind of go and invite them. Hi, guys. Would you like to come to a little trial? <laughs> so they invite them into this trial. And they kind of, in the trial, they kind of say, mate, we told you not to speak about Jesus. And the disciples respond by saying, mate, we're obeying God. That kind of trumps what you told us. And it says at that stage in the story, in Acts 20, the, uh, the powers that be, the priests, are pretty furious. They're really, really cross. And it's looking pretty grim for them, because if people are really cross with you, well, what happens? Well, what happened to Jesus? You're not... Uh, um... And then there is a Jewish leader who appears who finds a middle road. And he kind of says roughly, listen, we've seen movements like this before. They've come and gone. Um, if it's of God, it'll last. If it isn't, maybe we don't have to be so worried about it. It could be like, it could have all the staying power of the Twilight series, or Rubik's Cube, or Dubstep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and from the looks I can see already, those things came and they went. Um, if you love your Rubik's Cube, no dissing Rubik's Cube. And that softens the priests, and that brings us to where the passage starts. 
Here, read it with me. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from the house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. So, big picture, they've been put in prison. They've been hauled up on trial and thought this is going really badly until someone has found a kind of middle road. And then they go out and they speak about Jesus. And then in the terms of being released, they get flogged. Now, that's probably 39 lashes. The history was 40 lashes minus one. Um, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says it happened to him three or four times that he got lashed. Um, so it's not a light thing. How many of you would think, oh, great, I got away from that trial pretty lightly here, um, if you were going to face um, 39 lashes? Anyone? No. No. But they leave rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name meaning they saw a connection to Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts, the place they weren't supposed to, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Now, if I'd be them, I would have been pretty close to being frozen. Do I want to go and talk about the name of Jesus here? I don't really fancy a whole bunch of lashes. But they cannot not speak of what has happened to them. They have to speak of what they have seen. And they haven't lost a sense of being chosen by God. So they felt the fear and they did it anyway. So what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, I want to say generosity is not only about what we say, but in this passage, we are just looking a little bit about what we say. Here is this explosion of the people of Israel. Um, sorry. What does it mean for us today? Well, uh, if we were going to send out our spies into the Promised Land, well, we had, there was a report published uh, in May last year uh, by the Wilberforce Report that looked at faith and belief in New Zealand. It had some interesting things to say. It said that, on the whole, Kiwis are comfortable talking about spirituality and religion when they gather with friends. On the whole, not everyone. Now, can I just note, when they gather with friends is not the same as uh, approaching a stranger in a shopping mall. That's a different thing. That is not the same as uh, standing in the square with a megaphone. When they're friends, says in a relational setting. Yes? Yep. Um, I actually think this is a bit of a change. I, don't, uh, I suspect... Um, I suspect people who've been on the earth for a while, and I'll put myself in that category, I think people of my age and older, there was a stage when you really couldn't talk about church or spirituality in New Zealand. Um, it wasn't acceptable. You could talk about all sorts of things, but this was something you had to stay away from. And uh, just give a heads up, it looks like that territory has changed. This is an acceptable topic. People, um, the research went on to show, and you can look it up, it's linked to on our website, people will talk about spirituality, and they're happy to in a relational setting. Um, and up, so partly I'm putting this up there to say, guys, it's not you have to hold back, it's that is this a relational setting? Are you doing it in a relational way? We do have some challenges, said this report. It said, 
there are certain things that block us. Oh, hang on. It'll be there in a mo. Yep. And here they are. These are the things, said the report, that uh, make it really hard for people to be involved in church. And I'm going to name them, and I'm not going to address them today. The first and the biggest for um, all of the generations, and not so, for the younger generations, was the church's stance and teaching on homosexuality. That is a belief blocker for people at the moment. Okay? I'm naming it, not trying to solve it today. The next one for younger people was to do with gender equality. How is gender equality played out? And then we get on to a couple of classics. How can a good God allow evil and pain? And then how can a good God allow people to go to hell? Can that please God? They're pretty significant questions, aren't they? And it is worth us knowing. Yes? Uh, the, one, the generation before boomers. So if, uh, and the generation, generation, this stuff is broad generali- uh, generalization stuff. Let's be clear here. Um, do any of these categories actually physically exist? Eh, comes, if you follow the research, it comes out of a very small subset in America. Nonetheless, they're looking at age ranges of people. Um, so don't, uh, if you're interested in this, have a look at the Wilberforce Report. It's online, free. Um, there is a link on our webpage. So what am I trying to say here? I'm saying actually you can talk about your faith with people in a way that you probably couldn't of 20 years ago. Maybe in a different way. I am saying there are hurdles about this. But the act of talking about your faith, strangely, is an act of generosity. Here's how it goes. Um, uh, somebody, you've heard me talk about this. Somebody has loaned me an e-bike. And I have a number of times told people about e-bikes and said they're great. Really fun, get you places fast, good for the environment. Yep. If I was to tell you, imagine someone had given me an e- loaned me an e-bike and I told you absolutely nothing. I simply wouldn't be being generous with my life, would I? Yep. Um, it's a bit more generous when I say, would you like to borrow it for a week and see if it works for you? Um, that offer is available, by the way. If you think an e-bike might work for you, feel free to borrow ours and give it a go. Yep. While I've got it. Um, Sharing what you have experienced about life is an act of generosity. Okay. Done, I love this, when they gather with friends. So I've got, got some think, thoughts about this, and then I'm going to get AJ up and ask her a couple of questions about her experiences at Student Life. She's feeling nervous about this, yes, because she doesn't know what the questions are, but we're just going to have a little conversation. Okay. Some observations. I think we have to be very careful of the us and our enemies mentality. I think it's really significant that God, the commander of the Lord's army says neither. Okay, we don't get to put God as for us on our belts. That has a bad history. <laughs> yep. We don't get to assume that those who aren't instantly for you are an enemy. That's not how it is. And I think um, one of the other things that comes up in the report is the church is viewed as being authoritarian. I think we have to be very careful about this. So if you're talking about what you believe or witness, I think to begin by listening, to put the... Uh, I talked last week about a Maori person who said that they come to meetings with two baskets, and the one that is full of everything they believe, they put behind them. So they start with an empty basket. Tell me about what you think. And then slowly they bring things out of that basket. I think that's quite helpful. So we listen. I think it is always okay to witness. To be a witness is to say what you have seen and experienced. 
You're not saying it's like that for everyone. You're saying, this is what I have seen and experienced. And I think you can always say that, if someone's interested. And when you're doing that, I think we're building relationships. And I think you'll find that sharing tends to be uh, even. So if you're trotting out your entire story to somebody and the person is not sharing anything of their story, got a hint for you, that's probably not that relational. Um, I think we have to remember that Christianity is inherently relational, that the research suggests that we have new Christians in churches because they've formed relationship with people and seen they're actually, they are what they say they are. And that is inherently attractive. I think that we are to remember in churches we love to talk about gospel, the gospel message, the gospel message is big. We have to live into it. It's not just this, there's more. So some of the critiques we've had of gospel are often that we're presenting a gospel that is shrunk down to make it easy to get across. Um, so I'd go back to tell what you have witnessed. You can do that. We can all do that. Now, I wanted... Um, AJ, do you want to come up? Got a mic for you. Relax. It's all good. All I'm asking for you to be is honest. Okay? Um, I want to come up and join me up here. Yep. Yeah, stage. Um, AJ's been in uh, university the last year and this year, and you've been involved yep. with a group called Student Life. Mm -hmm. So what's Student Life been like for you? Um, it's really good. So it's one of the Christian camps groups on campus, and this year I've become a student leader, which is exciting. Um, and the main outreach that we do multiple times a week is sharing, um, or HOF, Hour of Faith. And so we go out in pairs, and we approach people and do a survey with them about their spiritual beliefs and then give them the opportunity to hear about the gospel. Now, one of the interesting things from that um, uh, report that I quoted earlier said that actually, although there are some people who will never go here, um, actually quite a lot of Kiwis are happy to talk about their spiritual beliefs. Mm. Um, by doing that, you start with listening. Yeah, because you're asking them, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's the relational bit of it. So we ask them about what they believe, what their background is. Um, and we have this little booklet that has the gospel in four points, um, which is really helpful. Um, and even, like, sharing that is brilliant, but we don't have to stick to that. Like, we can just have a chat with them as well. So when you first started doing this, did you find yourself feeling scared? Yes, and every time we still feel nervous. If you don't, then it means you start relying on yourself. As if you're nervous, it's good because you start relying on God again. What have you found yourself feeling most proud of? <laughs> Impromptu questions, yes, by the way. The questions were coming, but we're having a conversation. You can say pass. Yeah. When you think, oh, I'm really pleased to be part of student life, what is it that really... Um, probably, like, this one I noticed when I was on the mission trip in Nelson a lot as well. You'd go up to people and you'd get... 10 people like every day say no and then you'd finally get someone who'd be keen for a conversation that was like even to, no matter the outcome even just persevering until you get that one um, that was pretty pretty encouraging <laughs> if we're praying for you guys at student life mm -hmm. what would you like us to be praying for? um 
for the people that we're talking to, for us to continue to rely on God. So one of the main things that we believe successful witnessing is, is taking the initiative to talk about Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. So we just go and we don't, like, we believe that it's the Holy Spirit that does the work for us sort of thing in them. Um, we just give them the opportunity and so that the Spirit will be working in them and leading us to people who are open to talk about Jesus already. Um, and the the outreach that I talked about the other week um, and the notices sort of thing, um, our, new, our first year's Jandal thing, so we ended up getting like 1,549 valid surveys. Um, of that, people had done numbers, stuff like that, they didn't want to meet up. But so far, we're, in the first two days, we met up with like 80 people. Of that, 44 of them have heard the gospel so we, we have like a thing called pre-gospel and gospel. So pre-gospel is counted up until the prayer. So that is the gospel and then how to become a Christian sort of thing. So 44 either up to there or the prayer as well and three people have decided to follow Christ. So that's pretty amazing. And we're, some of them we're still continuing to journey with. So like I've got a couple girls that I'm doing explore tracks with. Um, so for, for them also to... Um, to open up a bit more and learn more. So I know um, Joshua Taylor, who's many mm. people who know Malcolm and Wendy, yep. um, one of the things that he was doing for a number of years was just regularly meeting with the same bunch mm. yep. So that, again, it's, we tend to have our focus on the, this event and this prayer, mm. but actually a longer-term sustainability relationship with yeah, it's quite interesting, the quote that you put up about friends, actually, because I find it much harder to speak to my friends and colleagues about Jesus than I do a stranger. My friend, I've been praying for a year for her, and she's finally just started praying herself and coming along to prayer times and start coming sharing with us, and it's it really exciting for that. That's a, that's a really interesting observation, because um, I would say generally for Christians, um, family. Hmm. The people who know you best are the ones for whom, when you try and ram an agenda down, it just grates because they know you best. <laughs> and I find myself again coming back to um, there is this thing for us to remember that you are loved and chosen, to remember that God's agenda is one of love, not goodies and baddies but actually love for everyone. Um, to remember that where you are, God is, and this place is holy. And to hope that that'll hold us back from the fear. Interesting that you say you feel it every time. Um, so I'd like us, um, I'll just pause for a moment to pray for AJ. I'll do a tiny wrap-up, and then we're going to sing let you um, build your kingdom here. So if I can have the team come on. Thank you, AJ. Grateful. Um, just... There you go, all done. Stay here for just a moment. God, we pray for AJ and all those in student life, actually, and all the students at universities and schools for youth workers who we want to share the good stuff. But we also know the call of conversion is not just facts, head stuff, it is an invitation into love. So we pray for strength and courage and a sense of now's the time to say this or now isn't. Wrap them up, send them out, and 
May we rejoice in we hear, as we hear what's happening, but may we too find that in our world. Amen. Thanks, Archie. Oh, one other thing for prayer. For prayer. Um, while, when you're praying, throughout your year, this is going to take a while probably, but um, we're praying for a revival on campus, for the whole campus to be turned into Christ-centred labourers, um, including staff members and um, professors and everything. So working towards that, and it would be great if you could pray for that with us. It's a big thing to be praying for. So for us, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be frozen. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you will go. Cool. I'm going to go over there and just for a moment I have to tune a ukulele um, because playing an out-of-tune guitar, uh, it's hard to believe that something could be worse than just playing the ukulele. Um, <laughs> no, not fair.